Volume One, Chapter Ten of The Day Will Come by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Ten the snow of her sweet coldness hath extinguished quite the fire that but even now began to flame theodore dalbrook a sensible hard-headed man of business was like a puppet in his cousin's hands she told him to toil for her and he deemed himself privileged to be allowed so to labour she put him upon that which according to his own conviction was an absolutely false track and he was compelled to follow it she bade him think with her thoughts and he bent his mind to hers yes she was right perhaps it was a vendetta lord cheriton had lived all these years hemmed round with unseen unsuspected foes they had not burned his ricks or tried to burn his dwelling-house they had not slandered him to the neighbourhood in anonymous letters they had not poisoned his dogs or his pheasants such petty malevolence had been too insignificant for them but they had waited till his fortunes had reached their apogee till his only child had grown from bud to flower and he had wedded her to an estimable young man of patrician lineage and irreproachable character and just when fate was fairest the cowardly blow had been struck a blow that blighted one young life and darkened those two other lives sloping towards the grave the lives of father and mother rendered desolate because of their daughter's desolation mastered by that will which was his law the will of the woman he loved theodore began to believe as she believed or at least to think it just possible that there might be amongst the remnant of the strangway race a man so lost and perverted so soured by poverty so envenomed by disgraces and mortifications eating slowly into the angry heart like rust into iron that he had become at last the very incarnation of malignity hating the man who had prospered while he had failed hating the owner of his people's forfeited estate as if that owner had robbed them of it hating with so passionate a malevolence that nothing less than murder could appease his wrath yes there might be such a man in the history of mankind there have been such crimes they are not common in england happily but among the celtic nations they are not uncommon my first brief mused theodore with a grim smile as he walked up and down the drawing-room while his cousin was writing a memorandum requesting the bailiff's presence it is more like a case entrusted to a detective than submitted to counsel's opinion but it will serve to occupy my mind while i am eating my dinners my poor juanita will her loss seem less i wonder when she has discovered the hand that widowed her he dined with his cousin at a small round table in the spacious dining-room which had held so many cheerful gatherings in the years that were gone the sisters and their husbands and the sisters friends and godfrey's college friends and those old friends of the neighbourhood who seemed only a little less than kindred by reason of his having known them all his life and now these two were sitting here alone and the corners of the room were full of shadows one large circular lamp suspended over the table was the only light the carving being done in a serving-room adjoining juanita was too hospitable to allow the meal to be silent or gloomy she put aside the burden of her grief and talked to her cousin of his family and of his own prospects and she seemed warmly interested in his future success it was but a sisterly interest he knew frankly expressed as a sister's might have been yet it was sweet to him nevertheless and he talked freely of his plans and hopes i felt stifled in that old street he told her a man must be very happy to endure life in a country town but you are not unhappy theodore she interrupted wonderingly unhappy no that would be too much to say perhaps you know how fond i am of my father i was glad to work with him and to feel that i was useful to him 
but that feeling was not enough to reconcile me to the monotony of my days a man who has home ties a wife and children may be satisfied in that narrow circle but for a young man with his life before him it is no better than a prison i understand said juanita eagerly i can fully sympathize with you i am very glad you are ambitious theodore a man is worthless who is without ambition and now tell me what you will do when you go to london how will you begin i shall put up at the inns of court hotel for a few days while i look about for a suitable set of chambers and when i have found them and furnished them and brought my books and belongings from dorchester i shall sit down and read law i can read while i am qualifying for the bar i shall go on reading after i have qualified my life will be to sit in chambers and read law books until someone brings me business it hardly sounds like a brilliant career does it all beginnings are hard she answered gently i suppose my father went through just the same kind of drudgery when he began well yes he must have gone upon the same lines i fancy there is no royal road and while you are studying law and waiting for briefs will you have time to look after my interests yes juanita your interest shall be my first thought always if it can make you happier to discover your husband's murderer happier it is the only thing that can reconcile me to the burden of living if it is for your happiness you need not fear that i shall ever relax in my endeavours i may fail indeed i fear i must fail but it shall not be for the lack of earnestness or perseverance i knew that you would help me she said fervently holding out her hand to him across the table dinner was over and they were alone with the grapes and peaches of the priory hothouses which were not even second to those of cheriton unheeded upon the table before them blake is in the house by this time i dare say said juanita presently would you like to see him here and shall i stay or would you rather talk to him alone i had better take him in hand alone it is always hard work to get straight answers out of that sort of man and any cross-current distracts him his thoughts are always ready to go off at a tangent he knows all about the squire's children he can give you any particulars you want about them the butler came into the room five minutes afterwards with the coffee and announced the bailiff's arrival juanita rose at once and left her cousin to receive jasper blake alone he came into the room with rather a sheepish air he was about sixty young-looking for his age with a bald forehead and stubbly iron-gray hair and a little bit of whisker on each sunburnt cheek he had the horsey look still though he had long ceased to have anything to do with horses beyond buying and selling cart-horses for the home farm and occasionally exhibiting a prize animal in that line he was a useful servant and a thoroughly honest man of the old-fashioned order mr blake i want you to give me some information about old friends of yours i have a little business in hand which indirectly concerns the strangway family and i want to be quite clear in my own mind as to how many are left of them and where they are to be found the bailiff rubbed one of his stunted whiskers meditatively and shook his head there was never many of em to leave sir he said grumpily and i don't believe there's any of em left anywheres there seems to have been a curse upon em for the last hundred years nothing ever throve with them look at what cheriton is now and what it was in their time i didn't know it in their time mr blake ah you're not old enough but your father knew the place he did business for the old squire till things got too bad mortgages and accommodation bills and overdrawn accounts at the bank and such like and your father washed his hands of the business a long-headed gentleman your father he can tell you what cheriton was like in the squire's time 
why do you suppose the strangways are all dead and gone well sir first and foremost it's fifteen years and more since i've heard of any of em and the last i heard was almost as bad as bad could be what was the last report it was about master reginald that was the eldest son him that was colonel of a lancer regiment and married lord dangerfield's youngest daughter i remember the bonfires on the hills out by studlands just as if it happened yesterday but it's more than forty years ago and i was a boy in the stables at fourteen shillings a week reginald the elder son colonel of lancers married lord dangerfield's daughter about eighteen ten wrote theodore in a pocket-book which he held ready for taking notes what was it you heard about him he asked well sir it was mr de lacy's servant that told me he'd been somewhere in the south with his master where there was gambling a place where the folks made a regular trade of it it's a wonderful climate says mr de lacy's man and the gentry go there for their health and very often finish by shooting themselves and it seems colonel strangway was there he'd come over from corsica which it seems was in the neighbourhood where he'd left his poor wife all among brigands and savages and he was at the tables day and night and he had a wonderful run of luck so that they called him the king of the place and it was who but he howsoever the tide turned suddenly and he began losing and he lost his last sixpence in a manner of speaking regular cleaned out mr de lacy's man said and by and by there comes another gentleman a jewish gentleman from paris rolling in money and playing for the sake of the science and able to hold out where another man must have given in and in a week or two he was the king of the place and the colonel was nowhere just living on tick at the hotel and borrowing a fiver from mr de lacy or any other old acquaintance whenever he had the chance and making as much play as he could with two or three cartwheels where he used to play with hundred franc pieces and so it went on and he cut up uncommon rough when anybody happened to offend him and there was more than one row at the hotel or in the gardens they don't allow no rows in the gambling rooms and just as the season was coming to an end the colonel went off one afternoon to catch the boat for corsica the boat was to start after dark from nice and there was a lot of traffic in the port but not as much light as there ought to have been and the colonel missed his footing in going from the quay to the boat and went to the bottom like a plummet some people thought he made away with himself on purpose and that the one sensible thing he did was to make it look like an accident so as not to vitiate the insurance on his life which lord dangerfield had taken care of and had paid the premiums ever since the colonel began to go to the bad anyhow he never came up again alive out of that water his death was published in the papers accidentally drowned at nice i should never have known the rights or the wrongs of it if mr de lacy hadn't happened to be visiting here soon afterwards did colonel strangway leave no children neither chick nor child do you know if his widow is still living no sir that is the last i ever heard of him or his what about the younger brother i believe he must be dead too though i can't give you chapter and verse he never married didn't mr frederick not to my knowledge he went on board a man-of-war before he was fifteen and at five-and-twenty he was a splendid officer and as fine a young man as you need wish to see but he was too fond of the bottle china was the ruin of him some folks said and he got court-martialed out there not long after they sacked that there summer palace there was so much talk about and then he contrived to pass into the mercantile marine which was a come-down for a strangway and for a few years he was one of their finest officers a regular daredevil 
could sail a ship faster and safer than any man in the service used to race home with the spring pickings of tea when tea wasn't the cheap muck it is now and when there weren't no suez canal to spoil sport but he took to his old games again and he got broke again broke for drunkenness and insubordination and then he went and loafed and drank in jersey where it's my belief he died some years ago you have no positive information about his death i can't say that i have there was one daughter i think yes there was a daughter miss eva i taught her to ride there wasn't a finer horsewoman in dorsetshire but a devil of a temper the real strangway temper i wasn't surprised when i heard she'd married badly i wasn't surprised when i heard she'd run away from her husband did she leave any children no not by him but afterwards do you know if there were children i can't say that i do she was living in boulogne when i last heard of her and somebody told me afterwards that she died there that's vague she may be living still i don't think that's likely it's more than ten years ay it's nearer fifteen since i heard of her death she was not the kind of woman to hide her light under a bushel for a quarter of a century if she were alive i feel sure we should have heard of her at cheriton lord how fond she was of the place and how proud she was of her good looks and her old name and how haughty and overbearing she was with every other young woman that ever came in her way she must have been a remarkably disagreeable young person i take it well not altogether sir she had a taking way when she wasn't in her tantrums and she was very good to the poor people about cheriton they doted upon her she never quarrelled with them it was her father she got on worst those two never could hit it off they were too much alike and at last when she was close upon seventeen and a regular clipper things got so bad that the squire packed off the governess at an hour's warning she was too young and silly to manage such a pupil as miss strangway and it's my belief she sided with her in all her mischief and made things worse he turned her out of doors neck and crop and a week afterwards he took his daughter up to london and handed her over to an english lady who kept a finishing school somewhere abroad at a place called Lausanne at lausanne i think yes that was the name she was to stay there for a year and then she was to have another year's schooling in paris to finish her but she never got to paris didn't miss eva she ran off from lausanne with a lieutenant in a marching regiment and her father never saw her face again he had no money to give her if she had married ever so well but he took a pride in striking her name out of his will all the same what was her husband's name darcy tom darcy he was an irishman and i've heard he treated her very badly do you know how long it was after her marriage that she left him i only know when i heard they were parted and that was six or seven years after she ran away from lausanne how long was that before the squire's death and the sale of the estate nearly ten years i should say that makes it about thirty-four years ago yes that's about it theodore noted down the date in his book he had heard all these things before now loosely and in a disjointed fashion never having been keenly interested in the vicissitudes of the strangways who was the man who took her away from her husband god knows said jasper none of us at cheriton ever heard we fancied he must have been a frenchman for she was heard of afterwards 
a good many years afterwards at boulogne our old vicar saw her there the year before he died it must have been as late as sixty-four or sixty-five i fancy a wreck he said he wouldn't have recognized her if she hadn't spoken to him and she had to tell him who she was i heard him tell my old master all about it one summer afternoon at the vicarage gate when sir godfrey had driven over to see him yes it must have been as late as sixty-five i believe five years after lord cheriton bought the estate about that do you remember the name of miss strangway's governess of course you do though the bailiff rubbed his iron-grey whisker with a puzzled air my memory's got to be like a corn sieve of late years he said but i ought to remember her name she was at cheriton over four years and i only wish i had a guinea for every time i've sat behind her and miss strangway in the pony chaise she was a light-hearted good-tempered young woman but she hadn't bone enough for her work she wasn't up to miss strangway's weight let me see now what was that young woman's name she was a good-looking girl sandy with a high colour and a freckled skin i ought to remember take a glass of claret mr blake and take your time the name will come back to you have you ever heard of the lady since she left cheriton never she wasn't likely to come back to this part of the world after having been turned out neck and crop as she was what was the name of the man who saw the apple fall newton that was it sarah newton miss strangway used to call her sally i remember that do you know where she came from or what her people were she came from somewhere near london and it's my opinion her father kept a shop but she was very close about her home and her relatives and she was young you say much too young for the place she couldn't have been five-and-twenty when she left and a girl like miss strangway a motherless girl wanted some one older and wiser to keep her in order had the squire's wife been long dead at that time she died before i went to service at cheriton miss eva couldn't have been much above seven years old when she lost her mother theodore asked no more questions not seeing his way to extracting any further information from the bailiff he had been acquainted with most of these facts before or had heard them talked about the handsome daughter who ran away from a foreign school with a penniless subaltern the strangway temper and the pitched battles between the spendthrift father and the motherless unmanageable girl the lifelong breach and then a life of poverty and an untimely death in a strange city only vaguely known yet put forward as a positive and established fact he had heard all this but the old servant's recollections helped him to tabulate his facts helped him too with the name of the governess which might be of some use in enabling him to trace the story of the last of the strangways if there is any ground for juanita's theory i think the man most likely to have done the deed would be at the colonel of lancers supposed to be drowned at nice if i were by any means to discover that the story of the drowning was a mistake and that the colonel is in the land of the living i should be inclined to adopt juanita's view of the murder he encouraged the bailiff to take a second glass of claret and talked over local interests with him for ten minutes or so while his dog-cart was being brought round and then mr blake having withdrawn he went to the drawing-room where juanita was sitting at work by a lamp-lit table and wished her good-night did you find jasper intelligent she asked eagerly very intelligent and did you find out all you wanted from him not quite all he told me very little that i did not know before 
but there were one or two facts that may be useful good night nita good night and good-bye not for long she answered you will spend christmas at home of course yes i shall go home for the christmas week i suppose you will have something to tell me by that time perhaps you will be on the track don't be too sanguine nita i will do my uttermost i am sure you will and you don't know how i trust you how i lean upon you god bless you theodore you are my strong rock i who never had a brother turn to you as a sister might if you can do this thing for me if you can avenge his cruel death if what then juanita he asked paling suddenly and his eyes flaming i shall honour esteem you as i have never done yet and you know i have always looked up to you theodore god bless and prosper you good night her speech kind as it was fell upon his enthusiasm like ice he was holding both her hands almost crushing them unawares in his vehemence then his grip loosened all at once he bent his head gently kissed those slender hands muttered a husky good night and hurried from the room End of chapter 10